Well, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on, everyone? What's going on? Welcome to another edition, installment, episode, airing of Miked Up on OM. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. You're listening to OM Radio, which is 96.3 FM. It's yes, your nonprofit uh, community radio station. And we're broadcasting as we do each and every day out of the workshop studios here at 1503 King Street. So um, I am so happy that you're here with me. Um, no guests today, taking it easy. Um, but I'm nonetheless, I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm happy to be here for two reasons. Um, there, there's been some pro- some progress made um, in some of my work and uh, work with my friends. Uh, if you're listening to the show, if you're a, a frequent listener of Miked Up on Ohm, then you're aware of of my fight with my friends, the friends of Gadsden Creek, no relation to me. Um, uh, we, uh, we have been pushing the issue forward of saving and, and advocating for not only Gadsden Creek, but we're advocating for, uh, the folks who live in that area. Um, if you know anything about Charleston, you know, Charleston's a beautiful city, a city with a rich and storied past, a rich and storied history that's not always confronted. And one of the, the things about Charleston is that it has two sides. It has its beauty, natural beauty, historical beauty, but it also has, um, uh, you know, they, they, there has not been a reckoning with its past. And so a lot of the sins of the past inform what's going on today. And there's uh, there's no other issue that puts this on display like gentrification does. So as noted in many uh, periodicals, uh, Charleston is the fastest gentrifying uh, city in the United States. Uh, we're experiencing monumental growth uh, due largely in part to a lot of the industries that have flocked here to the South and to South Carolina specifically, given our relaxed labor laws. There's no unions here. It's an at-will state. Um, in terms, it, You know, it's a it's just a weird it's weird like you work here and and basically a lot of laborers a lot of workers don't have rights and not a lot of protections in the workplace in and around you know protecting you if you are uh dismissed or fired because of your maybe your sexual orientation or um how you identify or shoot someone can really even fire you for wearing something that they don't like. Um, it's that real here. And um, and so a lot of industries have flocked here and you can pay people less than you could in other competitive cities. So with, with the industries come a lot of growth and also the city has made a commitment to its tourism industry, which brings a lot of people. Um, as also a noted, noted in periodicals as well, alongside of gentrification, is that Charleston has been named again I believe by Travel and Leisure magazine, the number one city in America or whatever. And we know that's largely publicity. But what we've seen um, in that, um, this is like, I don't know the consecutive, I don't know how many years this is in a row, but it's been consecutive years uh, of us earning this distinction from Travel and Leisure. And basically um, what what that means is that we've done a lot We've done um, a lot of things similar to the city of New Orleans to where we've committed to tourism in a way that's unhealthy for those who are native to this area. It's unhealthy to those. It's not it's not it doesn't make the city livable. Um, Our tourism industry here, while we we love to show 
our, our visitors, our friends, our family, this beautiful city, unfortunately, it's come at a cost. And so a lot of industries, a lot of rules and regs, a lot of legislation is passed um, in, in effort to keep tourism booming. Uh, and so, though, so you know, someone like me can't even vacation in her own city. It's just so, too cost prohibitive. I, can't, I couldn't afford a night at the Dewberry. Um, and, and some of these other beautiful uh, boutique hotels and whatnot. Um, so I, you said, what does that have to do with the Gazin Creek? Well, it has everything to do with the Gazin Creek because that's what's threatening the Gazin Creek is 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 uh, growth, is gentrification, um, is sprawl, uh, overdevelopment. Uh, and so we've seen this throughout the peninsula, uh, throughout Charleston at large. We've seen growth just really ravage communities. We see a lot of growth on John's Island, on James Island. Um, and then there's some cities and townships and whatnot that have really done a good job. I don't want to say good job because it comes with some nimbyism, <laughs> um, but they've done. A, uh, they've stood up for themselves and advocated for themselves to stop some of that, some of that sprawling growth, um, and, and some great legislation has come out of that, like you know, uh, bans on plastic bags and you know, going strawless and things like that. So th- there is always good with the with some of the bad, but with the peninsula, we know that that's prime real estate um, and. The Gadsden Green projects, housing projects, which is situated right next to the Gadsden Creek, um, is at risk, quite frankly. Even though that's not being expressed in any of the coverage, that's exactly what's happening. Um, The Gadsden Creek once was probably about 100 acres of just beautiful, lush wetlands. And unfortunately, uh, you know, you know, African Americans inhabited that area. They made a living off that area. You've heard this on previous shows with my friend Cyrus and um, other things that I've included. But basically, um, from the 40s on and throughout the 70s, the city of Charleston, um, and they wrote this as a literal plan. We found this in the city archive. The city of Charleston uh, willfully dumped garbage in a black community uh, to not just poison the area but to create uh, additional real estate so they can build on so that's why we have Haygood Avenue that's why we have uh, the Riverdog Stadium that's why we have all that other real estate over there off of Lockwood that was once a, a Martian you know that if you drive to the Citadel if you drive to Burke High School your car will will go up and down up and down over pipes um, that are are, are uh, pipes that are staying stationary as the ground and pavement sinks um, between it. So, um, you know, that that's not, that wasn't solid soil. And if you know anything about Charleston, you know, that the original Trident campus was supposed to be where the Riverdog stadium is currently situated and they could not build it there because it was sinking again. So basically that area is built on a landfill. And so we know that to be the truth. That's the history that's well-documented in the city archive It's well-documented in, in any type of periodical periodicals you can look up at the library. Um, so what, what what's the fight about? The fight is about saving the f- the the last four remaining acres of the creek, because we know that that will serve um, as a barrier to any type of um, flooding. And you're saying, well, it still floods over there. Well, if the city was committed to restoring the creek and uh, using some really innovative green solutions to help uh, restore the creek and, and help restore its functions, we know that 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 creek, that wetland area, could still help prevent nature. Uh, from wreaking havoc. I mean, there's so much damage that has already been done because of the landfill that the city had created. But what makes matters worse is it would be covering that landfill with another, yet another property and or parking garage. And that's what the West Edge Project is trying to do. So again, um, 
I've spoken about this issue very, very much, uh, very widely. You can find it. You can find out more information on my podcast platforms. You can find um, more mic'd up content about the Creek on SoundCloud. You can find it on iTunes as well um, and to catch up. But basically this week we were so encouraged because we had one. This is our second politician that we've engaged. We engaged Congressman uh, Joe, Joe Cunningham on this issue. He actually walked the Creek with us and with uh, a, a daughter of the area, a daughter of Back the Green, Ms. Barber Gathers, a legend legendary Barbara Gathers walked with uh, Congressman um, Joe Cunningham, who we know is an advocate for uh, environmental issues. So we were happy to have him and tell him the story firsthand. And then we engaged uh, state rep Wendell Gilliard. And I want to say very, very much thank you for Wendell Gilliard because he didn't just come and, and, and uh, he didn't just listen to us, to the Friends of Gadsden Creek. He actually uh, moved things forward and you know, he called for a hearing. And uh, this week, I got to sit in uh, at a hearing held at the North Charleston City Hall and the members, DHEC's leadership team in various capacities. So forgive me if I don't have everyone's title. I don't even have names in front of me. But basically, the, the, the folks who are handling this public comment that we ask everyone to write an email DHEC to request a public hearing. Uh, so those people who are who are handling those issues and, and trying to vet the community concerns all came together this week. Uh, and we were able to... We were able to really just um, to, to, to not only submit comment, but hear where where the, the process was. So basically, we know that the city has put in a permit to fill the uh, the remaining four acres of Gadsden Creek. West Edge Project, who is commandeering this project, along with ELV and Associates. Google that if you'd like. ELV Associates. I'm just going to drop that there. A lot of outside money, y'all, coming from across the way, across the pond. I'm going to leave it there. So um, West Edge is um, trying to position themselves as these advocates for community. But if you think that uh, a developer has the, the community's best interest in mind, you're wrong. And what's sad to see is that this person... Um, Mike Marr, M-A-H-E-R, he has made his way onto so many different community um, organizations, on, onto boards within local schools. So he's made himself a friendly face within the community, and this is how it works. Um, he goes in there, and this is how you ma massage your reputation as an unsavory entity. And so he's made his way onto the boards, and he's in schools, and he's talking to these people and that pe and that person. Um, and he's and he's also um, made sure that he was nice and friendly with a number of um, black politicians here who have done who has uh, politicians who have done great work in the past. However, on this issue, um, they're on to me they're on the wrong side of history, and I won't name them by name. But I will say that just seeing that uh, the, the the leader of the West Edge Project. Um, let me get his real title up instead of calling him the leader. That sounds very unofficial. And I do have the article. I did have the article up. But basically, um, Mr. Um, Marr, I'm going to call him Marr like Bill Marr, spelled the same. Uh, he got up and he spoke at the hearing this week. And it was just really, um, it was really interesting. Like the PR spin was just phenomenal. Like everyone, like if you want to sell anything, People should like listen to this dude or engage the people that he's hired to help shape his image, because basically he sounded like a nonprofit that worked that specialized in creating uh, affordable housing. <laughs> he sounded like that, and I'm like that that doesn't that doesn't reconcile with the truth of the matter. 
Um, so yeah, I'm pulling up his name. I'm pulling up the city paper. Shout out to the city paper for making the Gas and Creek fight a uh, front page cover story. Uh, thank you so much to those who are writing honestly about this issue and presenting. I hate this phrase, both sides. But to be fair and balanced, you need to show both sides. But to me, the other side is just so bogus. But you know me, I have strong opinions about things. So right here, so the city paper was in, a, in, in um was present as well as uh, some other news, um some other news uh, entity or news station. So yeah, this took place on Thursday. Uh, excuse me, on Wednesday. This hearing took place on Wednesday. The story came out in the city paper on Thursday, and it's titled Two Chances to Voice Your Opinion on Plans to Fill Gadsden Creek for West Edge Development. And I'll read from it just from the, fir- the, front, uh, the first couple of paragraphs. Um, so the story reads, With the latest plans for the West Edge project proposing to re-engineer parts of Gadsden Creek, there are two opportunities for you to weigh in on the future of one of the largest tracts of undeveloped land in town. One DHEC public comment period ends on Saturday, July 27th, and a public meeting was recently announced for early August. So uh, let me just stop reading. So there is, that's the one great outcome from all of our, you know, reaching out to people to submit public comment and to voice their opposition in filling the creek um, that resulted in a hearing that will take place on August 7th. Um, at 6 p.m. at Burke High School. Um, Let me continue reading. The West Edge Project is a large, mixed-use, multi-phase development hemmed hemmed in on the west side of the peninsula by Lockwood Boulevard and Fishburn Street. Initial projects in the area include the Caroline Apartment Building and the 10 West Edge, uh, which includes the Publix. So you already, for those who are familiar with that area driving by, um, as someone at the hearing mentioned on Wednesday, you know, it was once probably your favorite seafood place. Now it's just, it's a Publix. And the argument there is that, well, we, we helped solve a food desert issue. Now we created, a, we put a Publix here. Um, so people, well, you didn't just put a Publix there. You put 10 West Edge there, which is a huge uh, condo or whatever, apartment building. They don't like when you use the word condo. But it's 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 cost prohibitive to live there. It, it, it largely, I think, those who work in medicine can afford to live there. Um, those who work, who have worked in medicine for for some few years, not students, of course. Um, the newest frontier in the project, and I'm reading again. The newest frontier in the project is the plot across from the Caroline, which includes a gravel lot and the remnants of the Gadsden Creek, a tidal area uh, that I'm, I'm I stopped because. It, I like to refer to it as a viable creek, but a tidal area that that at one time encompassed a vital function functional waterfront before the city filled the marsh with garbage in the mid 20th century. Today, a public housing complex remains on site. A group of community members and activists are working to preserve the creek, pushing regulators to recommend against developing the area. At a community meeting on Wednesday called by Representative Gilliard, Wendell Gilliard, developers, regulators, and a few members of the community had a chance to interface with the Charleston area legislator. Earlier this month, Gilliard sent a letter to the director of DHEC to pump the brakes on the project. We do not, this is a quote of, from uh, Representative Gilliard. We do not want to sacrifice any more land which is in te- integral 
to an ever-dwindling ecosystem so that developers can further their profits all while reducing space for wildlife, wrote Gilliard. And so I'll stop there, but it was dope to, um, like I said, have a legislator at least uh, engage us on this issue, not just engage us, be active in um, slowing down this process. And we don't know what a victory looks like. Um, I, I, I think the victory is is exposing Charleston's um, I think the victory is, is, is twofold for me, exposing Charleston's history of, of not just um, visiting uh, environmental hazards on black folk, on poor black folk on the peninsula. That's one thing. Having people know about this history is one thing. But the other victory would be to expose the developers, West Edge, um, and the, the money behind West Edge for what they really are and to also expose these projects for what they are. We know this takes place all over the country. If you, if you know anything about redlining, if you know anything about segregation, uh, de facto or de jure, um, if you know anything about the history of housing and discrimination in this country, and especially in the Jim Crow and Jane Crow South, you know that this smacks of all of that. And you're saying, well, Tamika, you're conflating a lot of issues. I'm not. These are vestiges of that, that oppressive system, of that oppressive history. And they just manifest in different ways. And so we're seeing it differently. But the total disregard for black poor lives or black low-income lives in that area, the displacement of so many families who just can't afford to live, they can't afford to, can no longer afford to pay the, the property taxes on homes that they perhaps or have remained in, in families for generations. It just shows you where the where the city where the city's interest lies. You know, I really would love to see like if these areas like maybe ten or ten years ago or so when there were still, you know, maybe more people lived in, in surrounding areas. I would love to see the city create a subsidy where they take maybe vacant uh, vacant lots or, you know, instead of building a parking garage, perhaps uh create housing and create a subsidy where first time homeowners could buy into that in that um into that community. If you if you know me, you heard me talk about my my twin brother in Chicago, another area that faced tremendous had has a tremendous history in, in redlining and, and housing discrimination. Well my brother lived on the west side of Chicago and um not too short not too long after he graduated college with his bachelor's he, his employer, through working with his employer, he w- he became uh, aware of a program where if you're a first-time homeowner, uh, you want to be a first-time homeowner, you would go through the city-sanctioned program. There were subs- there were subsidies set aside, and they basically if you, uh, you'd get your house at this great rate. So he got his first home, uh, I believe, three bedroom technically three bedroom, uh, one and a half bad, uh, bath, a uh, two-story home in Chicago. For I would well under well under ninety thousand dollars, and that's amazing. And what we saw next to him, next door to him, were more and more the same type of like little starter homes, I would call them. But those are great starter homes, you know. And that's where my brother got married. That's where he had his first his, his first two children were, um, you know, their first few years of life were, were raised in that home. He just recently sold it, and that was some of the stipulations that as long as you stay in the house for seven years and you go through a, a homeowner education program. You were um, able to, to own that home and he was able to build equity. And, and just imagine if he kept that property and made it a rental property. You know, it's a way for, for black people to build equity, owning, owning homes. And so I would love the city to, to invest in pro- programs like that or initiatives like that where you set aside money to not just demolish these areas that have um, suffered from disinvestment, but perhaps, hey, let's build homes here. Let's get a responsible developer. Let's get one of these award-winning developers 
developers. Um, let's bring them to the table and see what kind of homes we can design so people can not just rent in Charleston, but they can home uh, own homes and have a stake, own a stake in the city that they love and that they know to be theirs. Um, we don't see that type of sentiment expressed. And again, the commitment to tourism and this ongoing issue with the school board, um, all of that is tied into gentrification, into housing. All of that is tied into this environmental um, racism issue. And so we, we, you know, as with other forms of oppression, we know that all oppression is linked. And so we can't divorce one issue. And so if you hear me reference Jim Crow or Jane Crow, Jane Crow, please know it's not a stretch. These are the vestiges of those oppressive systems that we've never fully reckoned with. And they're manifesting just really different, new and and dynamic ways. I don't know if I want to call them dynamic per se, um, but, but that's that. So I wanted to give an update. So we will have a meeting or rather a hearing from DHEC. Um, Shout out to those, those who are listening live to this show. This is mic'd up on OM. I'm your, uh, I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, uh, and we're broadcasting live from Workshop here at 1503 King Street. And remember, OM is your nonprofit community radio station, and you can find out more about OM by visiting our website. So just head over to uh, omradio963.org for more information on how you could stream this show and stream other content. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to take a quick um Tyler the Creator break and um yeah and then I'm gonna come back with just finishing up the Gaston Creek issue and then transitioning into some other issue that I really that's like near and dear to my heart. So I'm just gonna play a little a little Igor's theme. I think that's the only thing I can play. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll be right back.
Okay, I'm coming back. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mic'd Up on Ohm. I'm your host, Mika Gazin. It might help if I have my earphones on so I can hear my... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, we started off the show. Kind of, this is a, one of a... Not a hodgepodge show at all. Update show and... Um, yeah, just get people acquainted on some other issues that I'm going to try to lend my voice to. So we just got caught up on the Gadsden Creek. Again, you can come and join us um, on August 7th uh, at uh, at 6 p.m. at Burke High School. Come and join us. Uh, DHEC will be hosting a meeting where, and they're still taking public comments. So if you're listening live today, Friday, um, you can still um, submit public comment uh right now throughout the through the throughout the through the twenty seventh, excuse me. So you have till tomorrow, I think. Right? What's today's date, Kevin? You know? Uh, the twenty Yeah, so tomorrow the twenty seventh, July twenty seventh. So if you're listening live, you can uh submit comment till to twenty seventh. Also check out the city paper. They they have that, that update that I just read from. So City Paper just published yesterday. Sam Spence uh wrote an article uh so it gives you an update on that hearing that we attended on Wednesday this week uh, held by uh, Rep. Gilliard, Wendell Gilliard. So please, if you have a moment, you can find out more information about the West Edge development, about our fights for Gadsden Creek um, at the city paper. Just put in Gadsden Creek City Paper. You'll find a plethora of uh, information there. So um, last week was interesting week. Um, I had the privilege of just sitting with my elders. I had a, I had a really, really, really like interesting week like all over the place in terms of just talking to um, presidential candidates, talking to campaign teams, coming up with some ideas, talking to concerned citizens, airing out grievances. All this stuff happened last week, and I was, it was just such a, a raucous week. I don't know if that's that mercury and, and retrograde stuff that I do subscribe to. Um, but I got this. I got to uh, ground myself by sitting with my, my, um, my elders, and um, shout out to my sis, Sarah, for just really kind of reinforced that she and I both love sitting with um, just older voices, wise, learned, uh, just just amazing people. And these elders happen to be women. And so I got to just sit on the phone with Barbara Gathers, as I mentioned earlier. Barbara Gathers is a native of Back to Green. So that's the area that's right near Citadel and Burke. Um, you know, so she's a native of that area, and she's just a, a legend in this in in this in this city. And she's done some amazing work and wrote a great book about her hometown or her hometown area of, of Back to Green. Um, so I sat with her on the phone, and we had a very interesting conversation about the work that we're trying to do in saving the creek. And then I also shout out to my girl, um, my sis Courtney. Courtney uh, invited me over uh, to hold space with uh, Dr. Millicent Brown. Uh, if you know anything about Charleston, if you know anything about the desegregation efforts, if you know anything about Millicent Brown's father, <laughs> Dr. Millicent Brown's father, um, you know that this woman comes from a long lineage of just civil rights advocates. And her sister, Minerva, um, was one of the first students to desegregate schools here in Charleston. So I actually got the whole space with both of them. Minerva came into the conversation a little later. Um, but it was just amazing. I'm sitting there. I, I didn't. I concealed it. I was very subdued. I'm like, I'm sitting here with Charleston, like, legends. These women are, like, amazing. Their father did amazing work. And I found out this weekend that their father actually, um, and I didn't ask her to confirm this, but I, I was told that her father owned properties, rental properties in Back to Green in that area off of, like, Always Street. 
Um, I got that from Ms. Gather, so I think that's incredible source. Um, so it was just amazing to spend time with these legendary voices who have been fighting for the the quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes, little guy. Um, but in in um in sitting with them, what I learned was that they're actively fighting for something too. And um, I don't like saying I get into trouble, but let's say that I I know I can raise a few eyebrows about my approach, my call out approach, and also the things that I try to to just um. Uh, to just bring to the forefront, like I, I last week I just I um I expressed my dissatisfaction dissatisfaction. How about that? I know words, Kevin. I just stopped hearing myself. I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't hear myself anymore. <laughs> but I I I um I was able to hold on one second. <laughs> Did I hit one two? Ah, oh, gotcha. Up, oh, it went away. But I got it. Cool headphone headphone issues, but I got to uh, talk about um, there's a Gullah Geechee. There was a, a festival, a food and wine festival that was positioned and advertised as a Gullah Geechee festival, and and basically it was brought to my attention by someone uh, who was very just very just a very knowledgeable person and i talked about how you know they're just using gullah culture to pretty much promote this event and acting as if it's going to support the gullah community because it enlisted the very very capable uh services of some renowned chefs and i i learned also that the chefs had also engaged some other businesses in that area in that area of uh in the in the sea island area down below us um but when I brought up that hey we need to look closer about the closer at this uh, at this organization and, and the political ramifications that may f- come from you know these people doing this event and what what their angle is, and I got a lot of I got a lot of pushback um, as I often do get, um, and I want us to look closer. Not not everything that's positioned as pro black or pro Gullah Geechee is is awesome. It doesn't have to be pure. It does not have to be pure, and it doesn't have to be. Um, 100% black owned. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we need to look at the political, uh, the political history of a Hague point. We need to look at the the seizure of land from Gullah Geechee descendants in the Sea Island area. And some of our our, our more notable names, um, I think they do great work. I think they're great ambassadors. I don't like to call them gatekeepers. A lot of them are what I call torchbearers or those who are bringing the culture forward and who are always actively working to bring the culture forward. But what what in, in that work, though, I want us to ask for more than just representation. I want us to ask for more than just, you know, a few black faces on boards, a few uh, dollars given to, you know, to this person or, hey, you can hire me for this exorbitant rate. I want us to get more of uh, and, and us to fight for the long game. So that we have equity, we have a true viable stake in some of these really, really, really profitable measures that are that are that are um, happening, or these profitable events that are taking place in the Low Country, especially those that use the Gullah Geechee name and have no connection to the Gullah Geechee community outside of hiring Black folk. Um, that's not what. That's not even representation. I think that's something else. That's tokenism, and we're all tokenized. We're all tokenized. If you're from a marginalized community, we'll all be tokenized at some as at some point of our lives. It's how we are tokenized, and if we're determining how we're gonna be used or how we're gonna be tokenized, I think that's very important. We're all gonna like. There's no way to avoid it, right? If you're if you're you know a person like I said from a marginalized community, there's no way for you to avoid that. 
but let's uh, let's not make our price tag tag so cheap um and salary is not enough either we have to actually you know it reminds me of that um this is a this is a very capitalistic example but i'm going to use it anyway you know it's that that story that made news a few weeks ago about beyonce um and you know she partnered with a with a, a company instead of you know in lieu of payment she took stocks which later like and I believe it was Uber stock that later just went like bananas was so popular. And so her, um, her postponing, postponing payment up front yielded her a huge, huge financial gain in the, um, in aftermath. And so that's what I'd like to see us do. I'd like to see us plant seeds. And again, that was very capitalistic, but it was a great <laughs> analogy. But how about we forego upfront payment or, or let's forego the things that we typically take as compensation to um, and advocate for true ownership in some of these endeavors and some of these initiatives and programs. I don't see us doing that enough. And so for some of our, our, our torchbearers who are, amazing ambassadors and amazing educators on all things Gullah Geechee. I'm not diminishing them or their efforts. I'm not impugning their integrity. I'm saying that, how about we ask for more? How about we ask for ownership? How about we ask for equity? How about we ask for a stake in the game, not just representation and a few brown faces? And so when I sat with Dr. Millicent Brown in her home on James Island, um, I was very encouraged to see that that's what she's been doing for almost 20 years on one issue I did not know she was engaged in. And she is fighting. She's fighting for 21 questions to be answered as it pertains to the International African American Museum. Yeah, this is a museum that's got a lot. Got it's made headlines. Um, more more recently, we saw that you know the what's this position? But Michael Bowen Moore is stepping down from the museum. He was, I believe, he was the executive director. I might be wrong. Let me get his exact verbiage, his exact title. But Michael, I know he stepped down. Um, he was. He, I saw him so often on PBS specials, um, linking the construction of the museum to a lot of stories that have surfaced. He was in um, uh, Henry Louis Gates' uh, newest uh, documentary on Reconstruction. That's just the most recent one. But you can't, you couldn't turn on like PBS or any stories about the South and, and reckoning with our past and not see uh, Michael Moore talk about the museum being built here on Gazden, at Gazda Wharf. Isn't it crazy that all these issues have my last name? It just shows you like how slave ownership was like popping, right? Because <laughs> I'm a Gadsden, Gadsden Wharf, Gadsden Green, Gadsden Creek, so whatever, Gadsden Street. All right, anyway, so, yeah, we know the museum is it, it, it's, it's set to break ground uh, at the Gadsden Wharf, and we and we do know roughly about that history. And, and I I was always one, I'm 38, and I was always one of, like, where is our museum? Charleston, if any other city deserves an African-American museum, Charleston should have been, like, the first one creating a, a museum, given its um, history of slavery and being the cradle of slavery. Um, but, yeah, uh, nonetheless, uh, Mayor Riley, while he was in office, he started to pave the way so that this mu museum could exist and essentially be his legacy as well. Um, and so I did not know that there was a lot of black opposition to the museum. And I didn't know what the opposition looked like. I didn't know anything about this. So sitting with um, uh, Millicent Brown, I learned that, oh, no, we've been fighting for uh, a more input, to have more inputs of uh from the black community on this museum because they saw how politicized it had become. The construction of the museum had become politicized and started to become a, like a bargaining chip um, for, so, so, for so many interests. And 
So she and, and a group of other concerned African-American citizens came up with a list of 21 questions. And they run the gamut, right? They're, they're very, um, I won't say the word broad in, in a bad way, but they're very, like it's a vast array of questions. Now, I'll just read some of the questions so you'll get an understanding of what their opposition is. And the, oh, the group is called, um, they formed their own group. Let me get the, I want to get the right verbiage from her email. Um, yeah, Citizens Want Excellence. Excellence at IAAM citizens want excellence at IAAM and of course that's the International African American Museum um, and that international is important so I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you what their 21 questions are um, it says um, first question is lead certified buildings um, let me skip to this one Hold on. but the first question was more about better for the environment okay let me jump to this one. Uh, why and when and by whom was the decision made to call the project a museum but not have a permanent collection of artifacts like museums or facilities for housing and borrowed collections? Um, another question she, they wrote were, uh, does the CEO have any professional level education or experience in African-American studies or museum studies? Is it wise or proper to have someone with such experience in a principal leadership, without such experience in a, in, um, in a principal leadership position? And that, I believe, was a criticism of Michael Moore. He did not have museum studies experience, which I thought that's one thing um, as a layman is one thing that I found really, um, I found questionable because usually those who head up museums have these like really, really dope credentials in and around um, museum studies. Um, then another question is, what arrangements have been made to accommodate increased traffic onto very narrow streets at the site or the flooding or compatibility with private residences nearby? Um, can the museum, I'm hopping around the list, can a museum being used to bring tourists to Charleston to enjoy, in quotes, Gullah Geechee culture, culture also conveyed the horror of human bondage and suffering and how. And so I, I know that um, through some of the conversations that I've, uh, either what I've read in the Post and Courier about the museum and its construction and some of the announcement they made about leadership um, and what I've learned also from, like again, um, seeing Michael Moore on television, um, what I've learned is like they, they reference slavery directly but I don't know if it's a museum or more of a, I don't know, because I don't know if they still have plans for art, artifacts, if they plan on borrowing from like other museums, like the, the, um, the acclaimed museum in D.C., Washington, Washington D.C., I don't know. Um, but also, and I'm not going to read too much more from the 21 questions until um, I might come across one or two that, 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 um, that bear uh, reading on the air. But, um, but basically... What I what I learned in sitting in, in Dr. Millicent's um, her 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 living room, uh, I learned that they wanted the museum to not just start at slavery. They wanted you to, to they wanted the museum to recognize and tell the story of a fully formed African American who was brought to or African an enslaved African that was brought here and what that life looked like before they arrived on American shores. And I thought that was profound because it, that's exactly our history does not begin at slavery. 
right? And oftentimes what Charleston likes to do, they've created a whole industry off of showing us either in bondage and um, in subservient positions of like serving you food or performing gullah, which is not subservient, but um, I believe that always performing our history as if we're just like these narrators or these passive participants instead of uh, the rebels we were, um, you know, I think that's very interesting. But yeah, she wanted to what what she expressed to me directly, and as did some of her her friends of this um, this committee. They expressed to me the desire to just showcase Black life, um, not just in bondage. They wanted to show what African civilizations look like, what people that may have come, you know, from regions from whatever regions we we came from. Show those regions, show those influences of those African countries from the African continent show um you know our customs uh also there was a huge discussion about the inshago bone uh and, and and just you know uh, how africans created math and we weren't just our tragedy we were people who were how you doing someone's just looking at me <laughs> he's like he or she's looking at me uh, <laughs> he's staring. sorry we work in a, a glass studio here at workshop um but yeah, we, you know, there there were so many different um, aspects of Black life that um, that that the, these citizens want to have shown have have be presented, not just our suffering and our oppression, but uh, our, the advances the advancements we made in math and science and technology, uh, you know, especially around um, ancient Egyptian life and not just Egyptian, but uh, not just Sub-Saharan. Africa, but other regions where we, where many of us came from, show our complexity of, of religion. You know, there were lots of Muslims that came over as well. We weren't all, we didn't all become Christians. My ancestors didn't all become Christians. You know, a lot of us, you know, some some of the enslaved spoke Arabic, and that that story's been told. You know, and so I think with the with the with the um, citizens who want excellence, I think what they really want is just a more comprehensive retelling of our history and not a retelling that is told from the passive position you know we weren't passive actors in our own history we were we were active we were proactive we were rebels we we you know we practiced resistant bondage often we often broke free broke rules snuck notes you know broke curfew to visit family members who had been sold off uh, you know we 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 planned you know, big uprisings and rebellions. We commandeered plantations and, you know, from from Robert Smalls to Harriet Tubman, you know, in the Combahee River Raid. You know, th there's a very rich story that Charleston is not really that interested in telling because there's something about just having us identify or blacks identified with oppression is just something that sells more. It's more tragic. Uh, and, and that's, that's tragic in and of itself. So so um, I think it was great to hear my elders fighting and, and to learn that they've been fighting for like 17, she said 17 years repeatedly. So we're talking about nearly 20 years of fighting for more representation, for more voice in this project. And as we learned recently, I believe the new director or CEO of the museum um, will not be an African-American person. And I just, and I must, again, I'm not saying that things have to be purely black to be successful, but that goes to, to show you about the value systems um, in Charleston. And, and, and like there were no, like there were no, uh, there were no, uh, I guess, any stipulations about, you know, enlisting black owned businesses, which I thought was very, would, would be very important to have like black owned businesses be considered first. I think to, to center black 
uh, black entrepreneurship to center black, uh, you know, black creativity and, and professionalism. I think that would have been great for the museum to make that a priority. However, it was not. And so that that's unfortunate. So um, shout out to Miss Millicent and, and Minerva and the rest and, and King David. Um, so many people who just really uh, spoke up and, and and have been fighting for a while now. Again, this is just some station identification. This is Miked Up on Ohm. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Uh, and yeah, we're broadcasting live from 1503 King Street here at the Workshop Food Court. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm just going to play something really random um, that's clean. I hope it's clean, yeah. <laughs> and then um, we'll come back and just finish up the show. But yeah, stay tuned. Oh, wait, hold up. Heard. <laughs> These tracks are not labeled. <laughs> Let me find some really clean. You have any suggestions, Kevin? What should I play? What could be? Let me see. Name an artist. Let me see who might have some. Let me see. Oh, that's a good one. Like an instrumental, ninth. Yeah. He said ninth wonder for those who can't, who can't hear. Hey, oh, I should just play more instrumentals. I just see one. It better be clean, Kevin, or else. Let me see what this is about. <laughs> Let the ninth one to play underneath. I hope y'all can hear me. This is Mika. This is Mike up on own. The show is janky. <laughs> but the heart isn't. I'm going to turn it down a little bit more. 
right. So yeah, I'm gonna let Knife Wonder just play as I talk because I think I'm gonna do this more often. Find me some dope instrumentals. You got some too, right, Kevin? Uh, <laughs> I always talk to Kevin. I'm gonna be sad when he leaves. <laughs> Who's gonna talk to me when you leave, Kevin? We had to Skype. <laughs> Kevin rocks with me. Uh, it's so good. It's so ha- it's so dope just to have. Like, and then Kevin's my. What's your mom's name? Susan, Susan and your dad, Clifford. Clifford? <laughs> Shout out Susan and Clifford. I don't know why I'm laughing. I got a cousin Clifford. <laughs> it's such a. He's like a. That's a dad name. It is a great name. Is he? Oh, so y'all have money or something? That sounds like a rich man's name. <laughs> Shout out Clifford. Shout out Susan. Who does listen? Who I met? So I was like really stoked because they, they you know they came up and gave me some props. They probably are. So that's why I shouted them out. <laughs> so no, um, yeah, you know what? When you leave, tell Susan that she has to come and talk to me. <laughs> All right, but as we wrap up the last ten minutes, um, yeah, it's just um, it was a whirlwind week last week. Oh man, and uh, in a good way though. And um, got to decompress. Like I said, I got to speak to my elders. I got to go to the beach and just really just sit and and reflect and meditate on like this show and what I'm trying to do. And I kind of guess maybe it's what I want to want to talk about. I've been very very vocal about so many issues here in Charleston. And I know that in, in a lot of times it's not always delivered with a bow and pretty. And I actually pride myself on that. I don't think that um, these issues are pretty and pristine and easy to tackle. Um, I think these issues are gritty. They can be painful. They can be very, very tough to, to even unpack, let alone try to solve. So whenever I talk about systemic racism or, or systemic the systemic oppression that per, that's just pervasive here in Charleston, it's coming from a place of not self-righteousness, but a place of just, like, let's do this. Let's get this done. Um, a sense of urgency. Uh, and so that's how a lot of my commentary, a lot of my critique is delivered. But I think it's important. And I'm not going anywhere. And I, and I may make mistakes in my delivery, but I know one thing is that I really do care and that doesn't mean that really doesn't mean as much. That doesn't mean I can go out here and cause harm. But what that means is that a lot of times my messaging is not going to be it's not going to be easy to digest. And the only thing I want my people to do, and what I want those who are suffering right now, those who feel like as if that Charleston's just hasn't created a, a, a space, um, hasn't created a space for them. I want you to just know that you're not alone, and that just to keep fighting. And you're not, you're not, and I don't like to use the word crazy because it's ableist, but you're not, don't feel like you're like, you're saying things that aren't true or you're feeling things that aren't true. If you're feeling as if something is off here, you're probably right. That's how I used to feel as a, as a young teenager here. I couldn't, I couldn't express it, but I felt it. I felt it every time I applied for a job. I felt it every time I was reprimanded for something really basic, um, you know, and so just keep fighting. Uh, I want us to also tech, just ask for more. I had a conversation with my friend who works in entertainment. And um, and as I, as I advocate for my friend, it's always about negotiating more. Even if that more is just, hey, can I get plugged? Can I use your, you know, whatever the, the uh, agreement is, how can my friend advocate for more ownership, more equity? Um, how can that person uh, just really own his own image and, and how his image and likeness is being used, right? It's important for us to, to apply those sensibilities 
to activism or to just speaking up for against injustices. Ask for more. Again, let's forego immediate payment, immediate compensation, immediate attention or immediate validation. Let's forego that and really go for the long game. Let's go for for uh, let's go let's work toward creating deals where we can not just us benefit, but our families and our communities can benefit for generations. I want us to ask for more and, and, and asking for more really is dependent upon knowing your worth. When you know that folks are coming to you for something and understand that they need you, that you either have a good, a service, a quality, an aspect about you that people covet. Once you know that there's a demand for whatever they're asking for, you make sure that price is in line with your worth. And so when I go on and on about the nonprofit industrial complex, and I'm not talking about every nonprofit, I'm talking about that culture within Charleston that said to government officials that, hey, you don't have to do your job because we've got these organizations here doing your job for you. That's not how that's not how this is supposed to work. The government is supposed to take care of the people. That small government job is is, is corny. And that's that's not even read some bell hooks on that. That that that's not cool. The government is supposed to take care of people. The government's not supposed to dump garbage and back the green. The government's not supposed to break all types of federal environmental laws and dump garbage on its citizens. The government's not supposed to take your homes after a hurricane or a tornado and and sentence you to a lifetime of 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 poverty by putting you in public housing. The government's supposed to fight for you. And to these nonprofits with billionaires on your boards, and not all billionaires, but a lot of y'all, a lot of you millionaires, and to you all CEOs of, of development companies or of working for developers who have made your way into these black communities, who have made your way into black homes and telling them that, hey, we, we love you, we respect you, but you know all the well in five to seven years, their homes will not be there. For all of you on these boards, just know that someone's watching, someone who's read books and who's read newspaper, who's been documenting what took place in Baltimore following the Freddie Gray uprising and how the community, the community didn't, didn't create nonprofits. They created a civilian oversight body to hold the city accountable and to grab money that's made available after the uprising and distribute that to grassroots groups. Someone who's like, so, so, so the people who study this issue, who understands how these nonprofits are used to massage the, the, um, to, to, to not just massage, I keep using that word, but they, these nonprofits are used to, as like image management, um, you know, operations, you can look philanthropic while you're robbing the people blind, and that's not cool. If you're a real nonprofit, you should be working to, like, be irrelevant inside of, like, two to three years or maybe a little bit more than that. But you should not be around for, like, decades if you're really trying to solve problems at the, at the root. And so that's my opposition. I, I don't know if, I've articul- if I'm articulating it well. I'm probably not, um, but I don't have to. I, I've <laughs> I always say that. I don't have to do anything. But no, I've said this so much that I'm kind of exhausted. But I know a lot of people don't understand why I speak out so vehemently. Why is it so, why is it so hard? Why do you talk so tough? Why do you, why don't you let up? Why can't you just let that person get their bag? Why can't you let that person enjoy that festival? I'm like, enjoy it. But just let's question things. Let's, Let's stop just taking 
the first offer and start questioning why they want us, why they want our brown, beautiful faces on these boards, why they want us to participate in their in their programs, why they want us to volunteer their after school programs, why they want us in the classrooms. Let's question that. Are we being used? And we're being, are we being tokenized? And again, to my earlier point, we're all going to be tokenized. I've been tokenized and will be tokenized. And I will allow myself to be tokenized, but on my terms. And I just want our terms to go up. I want our conditions to go up. I want our costs to go up. And so that's what I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for more than just a few brown faces. I'm fighting for equality. I'm fighting for just and, and, and justice. I'm fighting for justice. I'm fighting for fairness. Um, and it's not going to always, uh, it's not going to come out, you know, pretty and pristine. I refuse to code switch often as on this show. I don't really, I don't really do all that grammar thing because I, I just, I just really want the message to go out. So I know I might step on some toes, but I'm just trying to get the message out. Ask for more. Don't be afraid to say no. Don't be afraid to say no 10 times. And maybe on the, on the 11th ask. You say yes because it was on your terms. So that's all I have to say today. Um, please look out. Be on the lookout for more from the uh, concerned citizens. Excuse, you know, the citizens want excellence. Uh, look out for more on the Gadsden Creek issue, please. Um, you can find out more information at Charleston Activist Network um, on all social media platforms, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'm more active on Instagram and the stories on purpose. Um, yeah. And you just, just keep up with me or keep up with the Charleston Activist Network and you'll learn more about these issues and stay up to date. And hopefully we'll have some really dope interviews going on. I just got some text messages while I was on the air. So you won't hear me blabbering on for a whole hour. <laughs> hopefully I'll have some, some dope content coming up, but, uh, yo, until next time, I'm going to end my shows with, uh, free the Creek. Yeah. Until next time, keep gas and green free. Keep Gaston Creek flowing. All right. Stay black.